My name is Robert Baer. I'd like to uh, spend the next hour with you or so uh, telling you about my near-death experience because my life has changed drastically since I experienced my NDEs. I was a policeman and I was uh, very black and white, probably very strict and super conservative. That's how I conducted myself and that's how I interacted with those that I worked with and those that I had dealings with. When I retired from, it was the California Highway Patrol, when I retired from that organization, I began doing other things that gave me a lot of power. Not only did I have power when I was a policeman, but if you're a university professor, you have power. If you're a city manager or general manager, you have power. And you do things that affect people's lives. I'm bringing that up because as I talk about my near-death experience, I think you're going to see uh, what I'm referring to. And in 2008, I was at home and I received a call from an old police colleague of mine. We would talk periodically and you know you got a really good friend when you can pick up a phone and talk to that person and it's like the conversation never ended. We'd worked together in the, in the 1960s as policemen and as we were talking and catching up with each other, he stopped me for a moment and he said, Robert, I feel compelled to ask you something. And I said, what's that? And he said, are you right with the Lord? And I said, what are you talking about? And he goes, I just feel compelled to ask you. And I said, well, I, I think I am. And I didn't think about it any more than after we had our little brief discussion about it. But this was in 2008. And towards the end of 2008, I was in bed one night and I woke up and at the foot of my bed was my mother. She had passed away in 2005 and she was beautiful. She looked like she did when I was a little boy and she spoke to me and I don't know what language. I think it was telepathic. I don't know, but I heard every word that was meant for me to hear. She told me that I was going to die to get my affairs in order and to handle all my personal things. And then she just disappeared. And I was so mad at myself because there she was and I should have told her how much I loved her and how much I missed her. And I missed that opportunity. I was in a pool of sweat. I got up, I couldn't sleep anymore. I called my father. He was still alive at the time and told him what had happened. And of course he wanted to know if She'd asked about him, and I remember telling him how, how she looked so young and beautiful. And shortly after that, my friend that had called me, he passed away, and it was really sad. Uh, I went down to California, and I participated in a celebration of life, kind of did a little eulogy about our time together. And I went home, and I was preparing to go on a trip to Arizona, and every year in the spring, I, I went to Arizona to see my son and his family. My son was a high school football, baseball, basketball coach and a history teacher. And he had like a spring break. And it was during the same time that all the spring training games were going on. So I used to go down and we'd spend time together going to the ball games. And I got to be with my granddaughters and it was, it was a lot of fun. And just before we went down there, I went down there, pardon me, I woke up in the middle of the night again, and my friend that had died was at the foot of my bed, almost exactly the same way my mother presented herself to me. And he looked young, he just looked at me, and he said, I'm gonna bring you through the light. And I don't know whether we talked in words or telepathically, I think it was telepathically. I asked him, what are you talking about? And he said, 
I have to leave now. I want to visit my grandchildren in Sacramento. He just disappeared. Well, the same thing happened to me again where I couldn't sleep and it's kind of eerie, but I made a couple phone calls and I found out that his grandchildren did live in Sacramento, something that I didn't know. I just had that full physical and I just kind of put it out of the back of my mind. And eventually I'd gone to, I went to Phoenix, Arizona, and this was in March of 2009. And it was really hot there for that time of year. It was like a hundred degrees or close to it every day. And we were going to ball games, usually two a day. And I just didn't feel well. And I'm from a coastal climate in Oregon. I'm pretty used to a cooler climate. And I kind of thought it was just I just never adjusted to the heat and it just bothered me. But I kept getting sicker and sicker or feeling sicker and sicker. And I was actually looking forward to getting on the plane and going back to Oregon. So the day came for me to go and this was March 22nd. By the way, my birthday is March 21st, the day after my birthday. And my son dropped me off at the airport and we said our goodbyes. And I got in the airport and I looked at this huge long line, TSA line, I thought, how am I gonna do this? I didn't feel well. And I made it to the line, and uh, once I got through, I went to a little convenience store and bought some aspirins. It's probably a good thing I did. I uh, took the aspirins and went to the area where, where the plane, um, the gate where the plane is. Boarded the plane, and as I was putting stuff in the overhead bin, I dropped dead of a massive heart attack. I was lucky because on the plane were a couple of two off-duty firemen from the Pacific Northwest. And there was also a doctor on the plane and they knew how to work a defibrillator and do CPR. And I don't remember anything about that because I gravitated into a light and I remember seeing these colors, colors that don't exist on earth. It was absolutely beautiful and it was warm. And there was somebody with me. There may have been more than one person with me or one soul. I don't know. And I ended up in a situation where I wasn't in an auditorium, but it was kind of like an auditorium. I don't know how to explain it. I knew there were people or souls all around me, but I didn't pay much attention to it because there was right in front of me was a higher power and I could not look at the higher power. It was so humbling. And I don't know how it was said to me or conveyed to me. I think it was telepathically, but I was asked what, I, what good I'd done in my life. And the next thing I know, I was drawn to the left and I watched a life review, a total review of my life from the time I was conceived until the time I died. And I remember telling my father about this because my father was still alive uh, when this happened and I was telling him about it. And I was telling him about seeing him and my mother by an old Chevrolet. And he says, well, were you in the vision? And I said, no. He says, well, you just remember us? And I said, yes, I did. He said, what did your mother have on? And I said, she had a like a plaid type skirt and looked like a sweater. And I said, you were standing next to her. And remember my mom was smiling. He said, wait a minute. And he went to some box that had a bunch of pictures in it. And he pulled out this picture and he showed this picture of him and my mother, and they were in front of a Chevrolet. And he goes, is this what you saw? I said, that's exactly what I saw. He says, this is one of the best days of your mother's life. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, that was the day we had just left the doctor's office. And that was the day she found out she was pregnant with you. And I asked her to marry me and we went and got married. And I, I said, wait a minute. I said, are you telling me that she was pregnant with me when when you guys got married, he goes, yes. And uh, we were kind of laughing about that. 
and he said my mother would kill him if he'd ever mentioned that when she was alive. And I said, I said that's okay, Dad. You know, they were married for fifty something years before she died, so that's fine. But I started to watch my life as a young boy, and it was phenomenal to watch the interactions and the life lessons I had learned. And when I was about probably four or five years old. Our family, we used to go on Saturday. We'd go to uh, San Jose. My parents would go shopping, and Saturdays was shopping day. So we went into a store one time, and I already knew how to work, work my parents. I knew if I asked my father for something, I'd probably get it. And if I asked my mother, I probably wouldn't get it. She was like from an Irish Catholic background, and uh, she was really great to me. But I saw these baseball cards. It was a nickel a pack, and... I asked my father if I could get the baseball cards, and my mother heard me asking. And my father looked at my mother, mother, and he said, "Well, ask your mother." That's what the dynamics of our family. So uh, I asked my mother. I knew she was going to say no, and she goes, "No." So, anyways, I stole the cards. And when we got home, I was in my bedroom, and I was out opening the, those baseball cards and had a little stick of hard gum uh, in the package. And I pulled that out. I just popped that in my mouth and my mother opened the door and she goes, Robert, what do you have there? And I got in so much trouble. My parents loaded me up in the car. My mother made a, a big scene about this. And we went back to the store and I had to take the baseball cards and what was left of the chewing gum and put them in a wrapper. And they asked to speak to the store manager and he came out, he came out and, and my mother said, our son stole these cards from you. And she just went off in a tirade about how it was unacceptable in our family. And he could call the police if he wanted. She didn't care what, what the outcome was. And, and I could read this guy's mind. His mind was like, this is a five-year-old kid. You know, I don't want to call the police on him. He finally just says, just give me a nickel. So my dad gave him a nickel, and everything was fine with the store owner. And we went back home, and I was grounded for I don't know how long, but I was telling my dad that story, and he was kind of laughing about it. And I told him, I said, you know, Dad, I said, you and Mom did your job as a parents. That had a profound effect on my life. And I thanked him for it. So I continued to watch myself develop and go on through life. I had a, quite a few experiences. And some of the good ones were like when I met somebody and, and you fall in love, you, you get to feel that all over again. And it was just wonderful. I got to experience that all over again. But the hardest thing I had to deal with, and which I still have a hard time dealing with it now, is betrayal. And it's all out there. Where I was, there's nothing but the truth. That's all it is, is truth. And I don't know if anybody in the audience that's listening to this has ever been through a divorce, but sometimes they're very confrontational. And I had one of those types of divorces, and it was so bad that I just didn't speak to my ex-wife for a long time, years. And uh, we had a daughter that she's an attorney now, but she had a situation where she had to have surgery. It was for a cancer situation. And I drove up to where the hospital was and her mother and I were both in the waiting room together. And this was after I had my near-death experiences. And I was sitting in the room and I made the comment. I said, you know, we haven't talked for a long time. And 
things were kind of ugly between us. And I said, we have a daughter that's probably going to need both of us. Why don't we just bury the hatchet and make the, the best of the situation for her? And we agreed to do that. And I asked her, I said, you know, I want to ask you something. And if you want to tell me that, that's fine. If you don't, it's your life. And I told her about some of the betrayal I saw. And she admitted to it. What I had seen in my life review actually happened. All the betrayal, not just with her, but I mean, it could be betrayal from the people you work with or people that you care about. You thought they were your friends. Maybe they did it intentionally or maybe not. But all that would be thrown right at you when you're in my life review. And I have had a really hard time dealing with that because you know everything. That was hard to deal with. And I was watching all these things happen in my life review and that something was kind of fidgeting over on the right. And when I looked over to the right, there was my dog, Scooter, that died in 2001. I could not believe I saw her then. I did not know that dogs went to where the afterlife is. I didn't even know about the afterlife, but there she was. And she was so happy to see me, she couldn't come to me. But it was so good to see her and she was so happy. And I kept looking at my life review and I saw myself just in all these different circumstances. I don't know how this happened, but you know, I saw the birth of my children. I got to live all these wonderful moments and all the sad moments. But I ended up back in my body in a hospital bed in the, in the emergency room. And I was revived. And I found out later on that I had been deceased at least 45 minutes. They revived me. And a short time later, I passed away again. And I was deceased for about 10 minutes. And I was very lucky. I had a doctor from Pakistan who would not let me die. He was a wonderful man. And the second time I passed away, I had a different type of experience. I hovered on top of the bed. I was watching them work on me. I could see the flatline on the monitor and I heard them yelling that they lost me again. But my attention was not focused on them. It was focused on another part of the hospital. When I came in on the ambulance, they put my personal things also in the ambulance. And there were a couple of people going through my wallet trying to find out who the hell I was. And I was watching them and listening to them talk and some policeman, and I'm one of them, carries two wallets, one with my regular type citizens type stuff. And then I have another wallet that has my badge and, and ID in it. And they were trying to find my insurance cards and I was trying to tell them where my insurance cards were because they were in my police wallet. As I was trying to talk to them, I realized they couldn't hear, hear me. And then I thought, I must be dead. And the next thing I know, I was revived again. And that doctor had brought me back. I spent several days in the hospital in intensive care. Quite frankly, I was probably trying to stay around long enough for my, my daughter to travel to come down to see me and my son. And the doctor was always coming in and checking on me. And I had told him about what I had seen about them going through my stuff while they were working on me in the emergency room and when I died the second time. And he goes, you saw that? And I said, yes, I did. I heard everything they, they said. So he went and he got the people that were working that day, brought them to my bed and said, tell them what you told me. And I did. And when I told them that, they said, that's exactly what we said, word for word. I'm bringing this up for a reason, because... You'll hear people talk about near-death experiences. Some will talk about a life review. Some will talk about hovering over their body. Some may talk about different things. But here again, there's no cameras. There's no videos. 
you're like Marco Polo or Mark Twain or Christopher Columbus, where you experience something new and you try and tell people about it. And all they have is your word about it. And I had two different types of near-death experiences on the same day. And if you hear this from some, somebody else where they talk about hovering over the bed or seeing something, there's more than one type. And I spent a lot of time in the hospital. And all I wanted to do was go home. I wanted to go back to Oregon. The doctor didn't want me to go back to Oregon. And he said I, I needed another surgery. And I said, I just want to go home. And finally, he arranged to have a colleague in Oregon or somebody new in Oregon do the next surgery. And he told me, he said, if I put you on a plane, as soon as you get to Oregon, you're going to have to go in and get that surgery done. And I, I said, I promise you I'll do it. So I did. I don't know how I made it on that flight, but I did. I made it all the way home to Oregon. And then uh, I went and got, went to the hospital and, and had the next surgery. Anyways, I've come back to life as of today. I've had 4,999 extra days of life. Tomorrow makes 5,000. It's truly a blessing. And my life is one that I try and live every day like this is my last day. And about the same time I died, Michael Jackson, the rock star, died. And he was deceased for about 45 minutes as well. And they took him to see a doctor in uh, Los Angeles. I was reading about this in a hospital in Los Angeles who tried to revive him. And this doctor was renowned for raising the dead and couldn't revive Michael Jackson. I had this doctor from Pakistan who just wouldn't let me die. And I owe a lot to that man. But I've often wondered what Michael Jackson would have given to have had 4,999 additional days of life. It's truly a blessing. I feel very blessed. I'm very grateful to have this opportunity to have talked to you. And I can be reached at www.spiritualawakeningsinternational.org. And uh, if you have any questions, please feel free to contact me. I'm going to end this talk at this time. Thank you for your time.